Hello and welcome to the Independent Minds, a series of conversations between Abbasida and people who think outside the box about how work works, with the aim of creating better workplace experiences for everyone. I am your host, Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida, and today I am joined by Noah Healy, an algorithmist from CoreDisk. Hello, Noah. Hello, Michael. Please, could we start by you telling us a little bit about what CoreDisk does? Absolutely. So CoreDisk is an IP company that effectively only has one piece of intellectual property, and that is the patent that I'm working on uh, and also have open sourced overseas for coordinated discovery markets, which are a price discovery mechanism for commodity markets that is considerably more algorithmically and economically efficient than the options and futures trading structure of the majority of commodity markets today. So it fits into the fintech sector, financial technologies of the IT world. Yes, it does. And you work on algorithms. Yes. That's, yeah, the, the principal system is an algorithmic mechanism, uh, which is one of the reasons why the patent is so hairy, uh, because the, the patent system has a hard time coping with the implications of machine technology that's embedded with computer technology. I'm going to ask you to explain some of those terminology. You talked about machine technology and computer technology. What's the difference? Machines aren't a particularly well-defined term, but we sort of colloquially understand that machines are objects that do useful work autonomously. So your dishwasher washes your dishes, your car isn't completely autonomous, but uh, the parts where it it drives the wheel are autonomous. Uh, your lawnmower cuts grass and so on. In contrast to, say, tools, where the human being, in addition to guiding the tool, is frequently producing the, the energy input as well, a machine allows us to replace human labor with chemical or electrical labor to actually do the work. A computer is a particular kind of machine that can do different sorts of things depending on what you tell it to behave like. So at the core, computers were a mathematical idea for having a machine that could turn into any machine that was described to it. And that's what Turing's paper did. He described this machine that you could hypothetically build that if you gave it the description of a different machine, it would carry out the actions of that different machine. The machine that in that context with that description that most people will probably be familiar with would be the synthesizer that creates, um, it's a musical instrument that behaves like whatever musical instrument you tell it to behave like. Yes, that's, a, that's an excellent example. Uh, an even more ancient example, and one of the things that 
sort of moved into the description of computers in the first place uh, are looms, where uh, looms, particularly once we got to the Jacquard loom, uh, would take literal punch cards, which is where punch cards were originally invented, and and behave according to that pattern, which allowed uh, chintz and other complex patterned cloths to be mass producible. So this this sort of fusion of information with machine technology is not unique to computers, and it's not something that just sort of happened last week, but computers make that connection much more intimate. And now that a majority of new machine innovations are being embedded in computer systems, the legal system has a hard time classifying things appropriately uh, of whether somebody's just sort of has a computer sitting on a desk next to their invention, which is some conventional thing that's existed for years, versus some actually new process that for convenience sake, we happen to use a computer to actually execute. So how do algorithms fit into the machine computer scenario? What is an algorithm? Yes, an algorithm is a much better defined word, uh, at least mathematically. The algorithm is effectively that set of instructions which will cause a computer to behave like a given machine. So there is a one-to-one correspondence between functioning machines and algorithms. And given the ubiquity and utility of machines, this immediately points up the value of algorithms. There essentially is an algorithm that is the equivalent of your car, your television, your, your stove, and so on. The algorithm is what tells the computer to behave in a particular way. Yes. Uh, a program uh, that the computer is executing is a specific implementation of, of a general algorithm. We got started with generally very simple algorithms, um, things like coding to turn stuff like letters and numbers that you'd see on the screen into bits and bytes. Uh, people are somewhat familiar with the notion that computers don't think in terms of the alphabet and, and the sort of characters that human beings read and manipulate, but instead use electrical impulses representing ones and zeros to do their work. Then more complex algorithms that were involved with sorting and then searching. Searching is probably the most famous class of algorithms today, uh, thanks to the work of you know Google and Bing and so on. Everyone's now used to the concept that searching is incredibly valuable and something that can be done, you know, very, very poorly or much, much better than very, very poorly. Whether or not anybody's actually figured out how to do it well is is certainly an open question. And so the the study of algorithms is working on ways to make them be capable of more valuable things, more complex things, and also how to achieve the things that they've already achieved at less cost or less time. I very often hear the word algorithm used in a slightly negative sense, where it's the search algorithm of 
a platform like YouTube or whatever will throw up. Uh, you've looked at this video, so you're going to look at all these other videos because they're connected in some way with the one video that you watched from start to end. Uh, but what you're describing is a much more positive. Right. I think, yes, I think it's unfortunate that algorithms have gained this negative connotation in their popular usage where they're less well-defined. That's an example of search where search is not done particularly well, where recommendation based on the kinds of interactions that you're having isn't necessarily the best measure of what it is you want to do next. Another issue there is that none of these companies were founded in a way that sort of had a long-term plan of action. And so algorithm has become sort of a code word for the stuff that we do behind closed doors. And many of these large corporations have algorithms that because of how the company is structured, they cannot reveal the nature or action of their algorithm because it would then be destroyable. Um, if Google told you what was important in how they search rank things, then people would be able to write their web pages to insert themselves where they wanted to be in the Google search rank, and the Google search would stop functioning. So they require privacy structurally. Has to remain secret. Right. The kinds of algorithms I'm interested in are those that can be publicly accessed and publicly examined. And that's, that's how my core algorithm, the coordinated discovery market, it's, it's a open system that people can watch working and it keeps working anyway, because it's just a mechanism. So like lawnmowers don't fail when people know how they function because how they function isn't related to what people are doing to them. It's related to sort of the physics of how gasoline explodes. The, these more social algorithms need to take into account uh, user interest as a direct input in order to be able to continue functioning in the face of, of, you know, user action. And Google is a, it's a, it's a first wave web company uh, that they, they didn't solve these sort of, you know, tertiary, quaternary, you know, there's 8 billion people. They didn't solve those sorts of problems uh, uh, first out of the gate. And it's, it's, perhaps understandable that they didn't do that. Um, it is, however, a problem that we have now that we have these algorithmically driven companies that are, are losing public trust uh, because they, they basically can't tell people what they're doing or they won't actually be in business anymore. Yeah, the, the commercial confidentiality aspect of the algorithm. But I am intrigued now. Um, you talked about a different type of algorithms. So tell me more about this open source type of algorithm that, that you're working so on. So my system is based on a game theoretic approach. And so what that does is it allows me to ground my system 
in certain strategic realities that make it so that publication doesn't change things because people's interests don't change when they know what they are. So if you want to if you want to buy something, you knowing that you want to buy something doesn't change your desire to buy that thing. Whereas in in the the existing uh, private algorithms, the the sorts of things that they're managing don't have those sorts of stable social structures that and strategic structures that underpin them. So what I'm working with is a fairly straightforward case of commodity transactions, and that's something that is simple enough that we can analyze at the strategic level because the people who are engaging with one another don't know who one another are. And it's actually the value of the marketplace is that you don't know who your counterparties are by regularizing the quality of the product and then allowing competition on both sides. It doesn't matter where your next gallon of gas or your next pound of beef or your next pot of butter is coming from. What matters is that it's the grade that you're expecting, and then you can receive the lowest cost, most reliable provider at all times. And the flip side of this is that the producers don't need to know who's buying from them either. All they need to do is hit their grade markings, and then it doesn't matter to them who's ultimately taking this thing off the shelf. They're going to get the best price that's available on each sort of marginal unit of production made. So the by setting up a commodity marketplace, you get effectively the best of both worlds through an anonymization on both sides. Uh, and we, we sort of know that this works because we've already had commodity marketplaces for centuries. What my mechanism does is simply improves the price negotiation between these two interest groups. And again, by making that system transparent, we actually reduce the noise that's introduced into the, the process of figuring out what price people want to agree to. Uh, and that noise reduction directly impacts the amount of computing resources it takes to run the place, the amount of information that you need to actually be able to transmit and receive from the players in the game, and the amount of money that it costs to actually operate the market, and consequently, the degree of profit that can be expected from both parties is improved. What you're saying, I suppose, is that, or my understanding is that the existing way in which transactions work online is by trying to find or identifying particular types of people because the process requires you to know about the person. What your algorithm is doing is saying that information is not necessarily important, which increases people's privacy. And what is important is simply that someone somewhere wants to buy a particular thing and the algorithm that you're working on from CoreDisk will help 
them find the product they want to buy at the best possible price. Yes. The key difference, a lot of online movement has has been retail-based uh, economics, you know, Amazon, Alibaba. Uh, these, these things are essentially last-mile point-of-sale systems where very sophisticated products are on offer. Uh, but an enormous fraction of the economy has to do with raw materials, or standardized materials, you know, things like bolts, bulk chemicals, oil, electricity, eggs, milk, butter, cheese, flour, beef, and so on. And it is in the management of this second category of things that we actually have a bigger gain, if you will, from from computing technology. So the sort of hyper-retail system with having a lot of marketing creates a lot of expense for the various players. Yes, I agree with you on that one. Everything that I buy, I think most, sometimes I feel as if half of the money I'm buy, I'm spending on something actually goes to being, t to cover the cost of being told that the product exists, to pay for the advertising, to pay for the salesperson, for the shop, whatever it is. There's a huge amount of what we spend is used to tell us to spend that money on that product in that place. What you're saying, I think, is that with an algorithm, especially in the commodities market, you can um, remove a lot of the unnecessary expenses from the sales process. Absolutely. In the commodity space, that marketing budget gets turned into more and more sophisticated and abstruse trading strategies that people engage in. And what this leads to is market destabilization, where individual marketplaces can experience sudden shocks, either spikes up or spikes down, at the that that effectively create risk for less sophisticated users that they then need to hedge against. And the more risky the marketplace is, the more liberal their necessary hedging strategy has to become. Essentially, I suppose the price is going to be going up. That hedging will result in prices going up. Yes, absolutely. So we, we have this situation where increased trading sophistication leads to increased price uncertainty at point of sale, requiring the actual makers and users of the product to step back from one another and take sort of stronger insurance policies against that risk, increasing the money available to the financial industry, driving people to invest in more sophisticated trading algorithms to attempt to get a bigger piece of that pie. And so what we have is a situation where the financial industry is growing, but it is at the cost of higher general prices, lower general productivity, and so on. And what my system does is takes the existing financial middleman sort of surgically removes them 
flips them on their head so that their interests become aligned with the marketplace and plugs them back into a new role where they're being rewarded for how much money that they're saving the the system how much good information they're they're actually providing rather than sort of being rewarded for noise which is increasingly the case today it is fascinating no it really is fascinating it's like an algorithm can be used to benefit one particular part of the sales marketing customer relationship scenario but the algorithm that you're working on um, even though it's not intended necessarily for the retail sector, so the business to consumer, but it's much more focused on the commodities section, would have far-reaching benefits for the whole of society because it would help to keep down the price of commodities by removing the noise, the cost of the process itself. And that would result in lower commodity costs, which results in lower finished good costs, which lowers the prices on the shelf for consumers. Yes, yes. And another thing worth considering is that these costs are what's known in economics as dead weight losses. Essentially, if, if, you, don't, if you don't have to spend that money, it can go to the bottom line and become available for reinvestment or or leisure or whatever other purpose you might want to put it to. And so the the magnitude of those current deadweight losses is on par with the growth rates of existing economies. So a, a sincere reduction in that level would either sort of step change the growth rate of the economy or very likely allow for a virtuous cycle of reinvestment that would continuously improve the rate at which the economy improves for generations to come. No, it is fascinating. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for explaining this to me. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to you for listening to The Independent Minds. I am Michael Millward, the Managing Director of Abbasida, and I have been having a conversation with the independent mind, Noah Healy, who is an algorithmist from CoreDisk. You can find out more about both of us at abbasida.co.uk. There is a link in the description below. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Independent Minds and that you can give it a like. To make sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe. Remember, the aim of all podcasts produced by Abbasida is not to tell you what to think, but we do hope to make you think. Thank you.